I'm Mark Peterson, and this is Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. In an emergency management organization, the public information officer role can be stressful, but it can also be exhilarating with a significant impact on the outcome of the response and eventual recovery. They're always maintaining a solid understanding of what's going on, decisions that are being made, and how those decisions should be conveyed and ultimately received by the public. PIOs are critical at all levels of government, federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial, and the issues they confront are varied. However, the strategies they employ often have commonalities. On today's episode, we catch up with two very busy PIOs to explore some of the ways they prepare for hurricanes while also responding to severe weather, tornadoes, and a myriad of other crises. In any disaster, public information is critical, uh, getting it out to the public, um, but also uh, the experience of our public information officers and the position that they hold in getting that information out is also very important. And so in this conversation, we're joined by Mallory White from the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Mallory, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And then uh, Greg Robinson from the Alabama Emergency Management Agency. Greg, thanks for joining me as well. It's wonderful to be here. So um, for both of you, uh, there's a reason why we have a couple of representatives in the public information officer position from hurricane-prone states. So as we look at hurricane season and the response to and recovery from hurricanes, we want to talk a little bit about what's unique about your states and, and the work that you do in the public information arena. But before we do, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and how you came to this public information officer position. So maybe Mallory, can we start with you? Yes. So I was in news. I was a news reporter in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, then Jackson, Mississippi, and then transferred to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, another disaster-prone state. And um, I was in news for seven and a half years. And after got married, had a baby, wanted to come back to Mississippi, wanted to be home. And uh, Ray Coleman, who had my position at the time, wanted to bring me on as the Business Emergency Operations Center private sector liaison. And so I started in October of 2019 at MEMA. Then Ray got an, a wonderful opportunity to go work for another state agency. He went, but also took the PIO with him, and I was the only one left in external affairs. And our former executive director, I think it was a moment of um, desperation, looked at me and said, hey, would you like to do this? And um, I, I told him, I said, I've never been a public information officer. I've only ever been a reporter and news anchor. I said, I've never written a press release, but I've certainly read my fair share of them. And let's see, I started my first official day um, on Friday the 13th and in 2020 as the external affairs director. And um, my first two years, three years in this, in this role, we've had 10 federally declared disasters, if not more. I'm trying to count them in my head. And so um, I, one of my things is, what did I want to know as a reporter? That's what I put in my press releases. And also, how can I make sure that people like my mom and grandmother understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Greg, how about you? I ran a private communications company for several years, for about 15 years or so. 
And I was in one of my offices one day in uh, April 27, 2011, where a lot of people in the state of Alabama and other states, neighboring states are familiar with. It was a devastating day that we had with uh, several tornadoes. I think it was about 62 tornadoes that raked across the state and killed 252 people. But I was sitting in, uh, sitting in one of my offices one day and I was watching this situation unfold. And I remember sitting in my seat saying to myself, man, you know, those folks are in trouble because you're looking at these huge tornadoes rake across the state and about to impact you know, different cities across the state. And, uh, you know, after, after I saw that and I said to myself, you know, I, I wish there was something that I could do, you know, more that I could do to get the right information to people so they would know what to do and how to prepare in these type of situations. Uh, but with the disaster on, in Alabama, the 2011 tornadoes, you know, I can imagine there was some things that, you know, people wanted to know, places that they wanted to go, so many questions and all, and they just didn't have the information. So. You know, I, I applied with the state of Alabama, with the emergency management agency, and 10, 11 years later, here I am. So uh, the public information officer position is often at the right hand of the um, incident commander or maybe the state director. Uh, it is also a position that is um, really trying to understand what operations is, is doing and how that matters to the public. And so, uh, Mallory, what, what to you makes for the most effective person in this position? I always tell people whenever I do my PIO classes, um, whenever I have to teach them, uh, you have to be in lockstep with your leadership. They need to know um, what the message is, and we've, we've got to make sure that that message is as effective as possible. Uh, you that person in the role as a PIO needs to have a seat at the table because as you said at the beginning of this, communication is one of the top um, parts of disaster preparedness and response. And so um, you get to, as public information officer, speak directly to the people and you do that especially with social media and um, so it's not being relayed through um, some type of edited portion like the news, they're only gonna take certain sound bites. And so using social media, using um, videos with your executive director, that's a, that's a huge um, portion of it. A um, lot of lessons learned though on the operations side, such as um, when FEMA had brought in uh, supplies to us after Hurricane Zeta, um, understanding the time frame, the logistical portion of that, it takes time to get um, supplies in and then talking to the local emergency management, they've got to do traffic control because people will start lining up for these supplies. Um, that was a tough lesson learned for me as a PIO. It's because I, I went ahead and I got on our biggest messenger, WLOX on the coast, and um, let them know supplies were coming, but it was a the reason I did that is because people were panicking. They, they didn't know where help was coming from. And so I wanted to let people know help was on the way. Well, people started lining up 12 hours before. So there is um, a lesson learned in that of the timing of it that you, you, and you work with operations, you work with your logistical team to understand this, um, you know, the supplies are going to be traveling, it's going to take some time, things like that. So that was actually a tough lesson learned for me. And um, I 
definitely have a much better relationship with our local EMAs and their PIOs. That's something a lot of people don't talk about is just how crucial it is to have those um, PIOs in lockstep on the local level with the state level too, um, because they are the boots on the ground. And, and we'll be there too, but um, a lot of people, especially the residents that live in those counties, will be paying attention to them more so than us um, because they trust them. Not that they don't trust us, it's just that's their person that they see, you know, maybe in the grocery store. So it, it's building those types of relationships from the state level to the local level and honing that and just sharing information with the locals. What is the state saying? Um, that is something that I've tried to um, do better at as well. Lots of lessons learned. I mean, I have a I have a news background, and so this is my first real position as a PIO, and so I'm learning that you've got to feed the beast, um, as they say. But I'm I'm trying to do it in a more timely and more efficient manner, where it doesn't put our local EMAs um, in a bind. I'd like to go uh, talk a little bit more about that relationship between the state PIO and the uh, and the local emergency manager, and if they happen to have one, a, uh, a local public information officer. Um, so Greg, in Alabama is obviously very experienced with hurricanes um, and lots of disasters. How do you establish and, and sort of foster that relationship with the, the communities? So I guess in this in this industry, in emergency management, PIOs, we all grow, go through some of the same, you know, experiences. We all grow in some of the same ways. And I thought about this because of what Mallory was saying. Everything that she said uh, just a second ago, uh, you know, I was thinking about it in my mind, formulating, uh, you know, uh, you know, talking about it in my mind. And with the relationships, we've got about 67 counties in the state of Alabama. And all of those 67 counties does not have a PIO. Some of them do, some of them don't. The major municipalities who have a whole lot more resources, yes, they've probably got a dedicated person to do the public information officer's job. Some of the more rural counties who don't have a, um, a you know, good number of resources, they don't have a person. So we have to, it's imperative that we foster those relationships because we've got a saying in is uh, disasters always happens local. You know, it, it, it may rise to the state level when there's some resources that we can provide, but they are always local. Uh, the local audience, they know the local EMAs, the local EMAs, they know the local towns, they know the local habits, they, you know, know everything about, you know, the folks that they serve. So that's why it's really important for us to foster relationships. So we, we, um, we work with the locals on uh, conferences to build relationships. We work with the locals on training efforts to build relationships. There's so many different activities. We work with the locals and we try to make sure that they understand that when we work with the local municipalities, it's not a situation where the state of Alabama is coming in to take over the disaster response. You know, we're the, the, the big bad state taking over the, the disaster response. That's not how it, it works. We're there at the leisure of the locals. We're there to just plug into uh, whatever system that they put in place to help out to provide whatever resources there is a gap. So it's really important to foster those uh, relationships and do well and know some of the um, local customs and how to pronounce words. You know, uh, we have a program that's called the Emergency Management Assistance Compact. 
where if there's nothing happens in the state of Alabama, I can go over to Mississippi and uh, help Mallory out or in other states. And I remember I went to uh, Georgia to help Georgia out uh, during a, uh, it was a devastating flood or uh, tornadoes. But one of the things that we always do when we go to a different state, we're always taught how to pronounce different municipalities and you know things like uh, the state of Alabama has a county called Houston County. It's spelled the same way in Georgia, but it's Houston County. So, you know, that's those small things just shows how important it is for the local folks to identify with you because that's a really part, a really important part of disaster response, you know. And uh, one of the other things that Mallory talked about is setting the expectations, you know, with, uh, you know, letting people know that resources are available. I think it's up to us to set the correct expectations, because if we don't expect set the correct expectations, then the programs can go off the rail. People have a different understanding of how the response should be if they don't have the correct information. If we don't set the uh, you know correct expectations, I, I think that's really a another important part of uh, the local relationships. That's a, a great um, sort of segue into something that FEMA is really focused on um, in strategic goal one, all about equity. We're really focused on meeting the disaster survivors where they are. And and so I wondered, uh, talk a little bit about um, how you have maybe been working over time to really reach underserved communities. Um, do you employ different kinds of you know communication strategies? So Mississippi has a disability integration advisor. Um, we're one of the few states that actually has one on the state level. And she has done an excellent job with uh, making sure that we communicate with those with access and functional needs. Um, we also know, and it's important for um, emergency managers, whether local or state, you need to identify those people in your in your community, in your county, or in your parish of who has access and functional needs, especially if you're on the coast or actually anywhere that has to be evacuated. You need to know who those people are. Not only that, um, a lot of people, uh, folks may not realize, is English is not their first language. And so we have... Um, We've taken our disaster guide, which we publish every year, and it's, you know, how to respond to and prepare for hurricanes, tornadoes, heat. We even now have a radiological um, portion in our guide as well, and that's translated into Spanish, Vietnamese, and even Braille. Uh, we work with our Department of uh, Rehab Services to help us do that as well. And so it's, it's understanding those populations and then also understanding um, in Mississippi, there is a digital divide. Not every everybody has access or really knows how to use social media. And so how exactly do you target them? And this is something that uh, my staff and I, we are, we are working on right now um, because we noticed whenever we just recently had some tornadic events and we opened up a call center and I had a lot of people from the Delta calling me because they weren't seeing um, our press releases and they weren't seeing uh, our social media post. And so we have brought in uh, Lamar Advertising which is a billboard company, so we use them. Really, at the end of the day, and this is something that everyone should, should keep in mind, is what happens, like in a Katrina situation, when your whole power grid is wiped and your communication grid is wiped and you can't communicate to people over the Internet. You can't 
because it's not there. Um, so you have to go back to the basics of radio, television, and newspaper. And that's why I always try to give the radio interviews to the ones that call and, and, and knowing those, those other ways. And then also, word of mouth um, is helpful. Your faith-based organizations are probably some of your biggest messengers for you. Um, I actually have a meeting next week with the Mississippi Baptist Convention because they serve 2,000 churches in our state, and that's huge. Um, working with those partners, identifying some of the non-traditional ways of how you would get a message out, that's crucial, and that, that's part of the what-if scenarios that we have to think about. MEMA in our state is kind of known as the doom and gloom state agency. Um, I don't feel like we are, but we are known as that because we are the ones that respond to the worst day in your life uh, whenever your home is wiped off the map. And so, um, but we have to think of those what-if situations and also kind of put yourself in, if you have never been through a disaster yourself, um, that, that would be hard. You've got to put yourself in someone's situation of they have a tree on their house, they're panicked, they're not thinking clearly. So that's why your messaging has to be as, as simple as possible because you're also dealing with people on a psychological, that, that are dealing with things psychologically as well because disasters can do something to a person. I personally went through Hurricane Katrina myself and that, that was devastating to see. I mean, your whole entire home and life that you knew was gone. And so being in a PIO position, and even if you do not have a PIO on the local level, you've got to identify somebody who can step up and step in in the emergency situation to message to your local folks. And that's something I want emergency managers to know that if you, and I understand, even if you don't have the budget for it, you've, you've got to figure out a way to get that message. So yes, I do encourage social media. That's one of our biggest messengers tools, but then also think, how are you going to message it to your older generation that may not know how to use it? Um, you can tap into retirement communities. Uh, we have something called the Rare Committee in Mississippi, and it's the um, response and recovery for everyone. And it's a network that they use to get a message out to those vulnerable populations. And so we have identified in our state where those vulnerable communities are. And and we try to tailor messaging a little bit differently. During Hurricane, I believe it was Hurricane Zeta, we sent out mailers to folks because we knew that some of them did not have the communication. Now we hoped and prayed that they had a mailbox still, that they could get the mailers. That's another thing you have to consider. There's a lot of different factors to consider. Um, and that's why you have to go through the what-if situations and scenarios. So neither of your states are... Um both of your states have experienced significant tornadic activity, severe weather activity, and then hurricanes. Greg, you know, what are the unique challenges of both hurricanes and then also the no-notice events? Well, it, the, the planning for both events is uh, completely different. Of course, you talked about the no-notice events, the uh, tornadoes. Uh, I was in one of the uh, sessions uh, earlier at the National Hurricane Conference. And uh, there was a quote that came up by Max Mayfield, who used to serve as the director of the uh, National Hurricane Center. And the quote was that it was 
you don't win the battle against hurricane during hurricane season. You got to do it during the, during the off season. And that's a commonality for any disaster. That's why it's so important for us to let people know that if you want to come out on the good side of any type disaster, you got to do the preparedness part. You got to do the preparedness plan because that's where you can control time in some aspect. You know, you got time to plan, you got time to talk to relatives, you got time to formulate what you want to do. But in the midst of the disaster, the time aspect goes away. You're at the whim of whatever's going on, and that's how you have to have to plan at that time. So uh, the no notice, the no notice events like the tornadoes, it's imperative that you really have a good solid plan, you know, uh, before the tornado happens. And it, it's also very important during hurricanes. But for the hurricanes, you know, you've got some timeline to work with it. You know, you, you can plan, you know it's coming in, you know it's there. You know, we've talked about a degree of how, you know, what category the hurricane is. So you've got a little bit more time to plan, uh, but that's one of the biggest differences between those notice and no notice. But folks have to know that when you have an opportunity to plan, that's what you want to do because that's the best opportunity for you to have to come out on the good side of any disaster. And I know we've just mentioned these weather disasters, but you know, there's, there's other things that we have to look at. A lot of people in the state of Alabama doesn't have any idea that we have earthquakes in the state of Alabama. Now, we, we have more than most people living in the state knows, but it's not something that happens out west, you know, something that will rattle you out of your bed. It may be something that you stop and say, was, was, that, a, was that an earthquake? And it may be something that you don't even feel or at all. Or a truck or something. That's right, or a truck <laughs> driving down the street or something. But we do have them, and that's something else that we have to make pe make sure people are prepared for. We hand out a, hur a, a, a earthquake brochure, and people look at us like, you know, what is this? Why are you giving me this? We don't have these in Alabama, but we do. So, you know, you just have to look at the spectrum across all, all hazards, and you just have to make sure that people understand that it's important to plan and communicate the plan to family members because we always say you may not be in the same place with your family members, so everybody needs to know what the plan is. So it's, it's just important to look across all the spectrums and, and, and do all the planning. Is uh, evacuation planning a part of that too? I mean, do you communicate that to the public to say, you know, maybe have a place that you're going to go when, when you're talking about this? Yeah, we actually just recorded um, for our hurricane preparedness week. Um, we did a video with the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Um, we collaborated together uh, to let people know you've got to identify um, where are you going whenever you are forced to evacuate. We also took the time to explain contraflow, which is the word no one wants to hear, but it is always a possibility. It was something that almost happened with Hurricane Ida, and luckily it didn't have to. And so, um, but he's completely right. It's the, it's the messaging part. And one thing that we've noticed in Mississippi, and I'm sure you've done in Alabama as well, is a lot of schools now, because of COVID, they can teach virtually. And so whenever there is a severe weather day, a lot of uh, school districts are closing down and going virtual. 
And so that has brought the question to me as a PIO is, is that something that MEMA recommends? Because schools can be seen safer than some homes. And so what our job is, is getting getting a message to the parents of, does your child know what a tornado warning is? If they're going to be home alone, do they know where their safe place is? Do they know... Um, that they need to stay there until the threat's over and how are you getting that information to them? It, and it's something just so small, but we've had a devastating um, tornado outbreak before that went straight through a mobile home park. Um, it was years ago, but the, this, is, this is the reality of the situation. And so with more students staying at home during these tornadic events, they're raised, there's a risk level too. And so it's, it's a messaging of just be aware that because they are at home and they may be alone, they need to have a plan in place. You know, it's, it's, kind of, it's, kind of, it's almost kind of settling in some aspect that kids are at school as opposed to being at home during severe weather. Uh, after April 27, 2011, uh, the state of Alabama passed some legislation that every new school that's uh, constructed has to have a safe place, has to have a safe place for students to come uh, in case of severe weather. So, you know, if you are managing the situation and you've got students, you got, you know, you've got everybody in a place where you know that there's a safe place that they can go, you know, in, in some aspects, there's a, it's a bit more settling than, you know, having kids at school, I mean at home, uh, because you just, you want to push the message to parents that you got to have a plan, what we just talked about, and you got to communicate the plan uh, to the family, and you don't know if that's been happening. You know, you, you try your best to do it to make sure to get the message out, but you don't know for sure if it's happening. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the situation with the schools and the, the safer places or the shelters in the school, I guess it, it can be a bit more settling to know that you've got kids in, in the school when something like that is happening. And it's all about tailoring your message, too. I mean, who's your target audience? Are you speaking directly to kids? Are you speaking directly to adults? Are you speaking to the older generation, too? Because each of those groups is going to digest information differently, and that's something as a PIO you have to think of. Um, we, we have a saying in news, it's called keep it simple. That's the challenge of taking something as um, complex as maybe FEMA assistance and breaking it down for people to understand that this is a process that we have to go through. Or it's um, winter weather messaging, which is something we knew we've right. had to start doing <laughs> in our, yeah. both of our states. I, mean, I was iced in for a week in my house. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I do know people were very receptive whenever we said, all right, this is what the forecast is. This is what you should be doing right now. Um, wrapping your pipes up and, and doing those types of things, taking these actions. And I think that actually helped people. They kind of wanted to know um, what to do. Um, typically, we just say, you know, pack a kit, do this. But we, we broke it even uh, down further for those in Mississippi with disabilities, what your kit should look like, um, because it's different than from someone who does not have an access and functional need. And so it, it's taking all of these factors into consideration and making sure that you are touching everybody and making sure that everyone is getting the message and making sure 
we took our disaster supply kit video and we had someone read it for us in Spanish and in Vietnamese as well. Um, it's knowing your entire audience. And one of the things that I love so much about the National Weather Service, Jackson, is they do a statewide graphic for us so we can message to the entire state and it's not just one little section of what they cover. And yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, they, they do a great job. And we've actually been working with them um, they use our drone video for damage assessments and they give us track paths for tornadoes and that helps us speed up the damage assessments of, all right, this area is where it looks like um, the most, this is the track path, that's where we need to go to make sure our damage assessments are completed. So we need to talk. To, we do need to talk, You know, yeah. Jackson, now we've got four National Weather Services offices throughout the state of Alabama and they just do, but this this podcast is not about the National Weather Service, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, we've we actually had the National Weather Service on and we've had great conversations about it because they have great tools. They um, and, and they're so important to us as emergency yeah. managers. But yeah. um, I'm just you, know, you actually just brought up something that I, I'd yeah. really love to uh, talk about, which is how do you collaborate with other public information officers? Um, you know, I come from FEMA Region 5, and so my Midwest states, we get together, um, you know, once a month or so and share best practices. Do you have a collaboration group similar? Well, Mallory talked earlier when she mentioned relationships. You know, emergency management agencies, well, I can say this for the state of Alabama. I don't know if other states are the same way, but we call ourselves a coordinating agency because that's what we do. We don't have a whole lot of resources. You know, we don't have fire trucks at the agency. We don't have police cars. We don't have dozers to clear roads. So our biggest asset is relationships. We got to make relationships with other state agencies, with local, federal, you know, all municipalities. So that's one of the things we do with the rest of the public information officers on the local level and the state level. We try and make sure that we've got a good relationship so if there's something that we need or it's something that they need, you know, we can easily reach out. You know, two uh, mechanisms that we try and do that, we do a quarterly meeting with all the state public information officers, and it's to talk about lessons learned, it's to talk about, you know, uh, if there's any programs that they know that, uh, you know, public information officers can, can go to to get training, but it's, it's an avenue for us to continue to build relationships among public information officers uh, in the state. So uh, that relationship thing, I th think that's the, the best avenue, the best tool that we have to be sure that we are connected with public information officers uh, throughout the state. We don't have, you know, we can't command anyone to do anything because we don't have any oversight over other agencies, but when we bill, we do have the statutory authority to ask for certain things, but you know, who wanna throw a law in somebody's face and ask them to do stuff, you don't wanna do that. You know, you, you won't get very far doing it. So that's why the relationship part is really, is, is really important. That's why the relationship part is really good on that. And I have mm -hmm. a, we have a joint information center um, mm -hmm. that we have the, I have the authority to activate if, if I need to do it um, during a disaster. And the first time I activated 
a joint information center. It was a virtual joint information center because of COVID. It was the first time we were testing this out. It was during Hurricane Ida. And it is all of these state agency PIOs working together. But I let my local PIOs into the state JIC as well so they can see and hear what the state is planning, doing from MDOT to the Department of Health, um, everything. So they can be just as informed as I am. And it, it honestly, it depends on the on the the situation. So I have a, a group of executive PIOs from the executive state agencies that rep report directly to the governor that I speak with. And then I have the full jick of all the state PIOs. And then sometimes I just call my locals and say, hey, um, we're, we're thinking of doing this messaging, especially if it's hurricane season, it's going to affect them the most. And 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 vice versa, they call me for advice, I'll call them for advice. Um, one of the wonderful things that uh, that we have is in Adams County, Miss Nefa Hardy, she's the PIO there, and she has her own joint information center on the local level. And so she's she's doing things on a, on a whole different level. And another thing that we have to consider as well as we have a nuclear power plant in Mississippi and Port Gibson. And so we have to run through those exercises and public information is a huge part of that as well. And so we all have to be in lockstep. It, it is all about information sharing whenever it comes to before, during, and after a disaster. It, it, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we uh, try and concentrate on, we had in Lee County, uh, there was one tornado that came through a, a community called Beauregard, but it killed 22 individuals. And like I stated earlier, uh, disasters are always local. Uh, the PIO in that county name is uh, Rita Smith, and she and I has had a good relationship uh, for some time. And when the, the event happened, she called me, and I can tell in her voice that she really needed help. She was really concerned about what was going on. And uh, that same day I went down and we set up the Joint Information Center and that were, there were hundreds of media outlets. And I'm not kidding when I say that. Uh, the Joint Information Center was so full with so many different media outlets, but that's just an example of how the relationship part of it works. You know, you gotta let folks know that you are there for a resource to come out and help if, uh, if, if one of the local municipalities uh, need help, you know, we're a resource to come out. So after I came out and, and we set up the Joint Information Center, then we had our federal partners and other state partners and some local folks who uh, came out also to plug into the Joint Information Center. But the, the relationship part of it, you know, it's, it's, it's paramount. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so we're um, well, we're all in the business of messaging and sound bites. Um, so in that <laughs> in that vein, um, what's your what's your message to a new emergency manager who maybe is uh, facing hurricane his first his or her first hurricane season, and thinking about um, public information? Okay, I, I think one of the things, or one of the things that we could, we normally do, and it's not just PIOs, it's, it's just something that we do as, as human. When we go into a situation and we judge a situation, I think we always judge the situation from our perspective. We look at what the results should be from 
where we are and from who we are. But I think it's important sometimes to, to you know, forget about that part and look at the person that we are responding to. We got to try and judge the, judge the situation, uh, the information that is needed uh, by our audience about what they need and who they are and take our preconceived notions out. You know, we've talked about this earlier, but I think that's the most important part because sometimes when we look at the situation from where we are and we think about what information it is that we need and we're not looking at our audience, we can kind of waste time with information that, that they don't need and we can delete information that they you know will need. So I think that's an, an important aspect of it. Knowing who you're, who you're talking to, knowing the needs of your audience, you know, knowing the things that are important to them, you know, once you get that part of it down, you know, I think you've, you've, you've come quite a ways in, in saying what needs to be said or putting the message out that needs to be uh, put out. So uh, I think that's what some of the new emergency managers uh, should concentrate on. Okay. Mallory, how about you? Buckle up. It's going to be a fun <laughs> ride. No, it's, we, we say this, it's locally executed, state supported. That's what a disaster is and then federally supported if need be. One of the things, one of the pieces of advice uh, that I would give new emergency managers is you have, of course, build the relationship with your state counterpart, but you have got to build a relationship from emergency management to police department to fire department to sheriff's department um, and, and, and forge a bond there for that type of response, especially if you're dealing with something that's completely devastating and catastrophic because y'all are going to be the first ones on the ground and the first ones doing the dirty work before the state or the feds can come in and help. Um, and so having that coordination, that information sharing, and not just between those entities as well, you got to think about your school districts, your churches, let them know because they can help you in messaging all of that as well. Um, so that would be my, my piece of advice is even if there is some type of political discourse going on, you have to put all of that aside in an emergency because if you do not, it's your citizens that are going to suffer at the end of the day. And you've got to make sure that you are all in lockstep with each other and have one common goal of returning to normalcy as quickly as possible. Our, our business is, you know, saving lives and property. And that's, that's got to remain your common goal with all of your responding entities. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before, During, and After, a podcast from FEMA. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, or have ideas for future episodes, visit us at fema.gov slash podcast. 